as Pastor Billy intimated, what I plan to do is take you into a passage that I, I bet a lot of you have already been through. The hard part about this will be to, to dial back a little bit on what I already know, okay? And just and look at what the text says. I've, I've lived my entire life believing that if I understood the word of God, and that means I gotta know what it meant to them, because what it means to me can never get divorced of what it meant to them. If I can figure out what it meant to them and then put a couple of filters on there to get into 2022, uh, then I can make sense of this and live for Christ. Uh, so, you wanna give it a try? All right, well, let me turn this thing on. Press home to open. Redo that. Oh, look at that. Now all I need is to see that up there. There we go. Ooh, we gotta go back one. That is, you know? That's El Capitan, right? Yosemite. Uh, and Diane and I have been there and I have, I've been to the bottom of it. I've been to the bottom of it. I've actually touched it. And, and I climbed it. It was three feet. I went uh, there. <laughs> Down in the middle of the park, there's guys, you know, we're walking around there, there's guys there with telescopes looking up at the, at the rock face. And so I walked by, what are you looking at? He says, oh, you can take a look. Because when people, they usually take like three days to climb this, it's 3,000 feet high. <clears throat> they take three days to climb it. They'll actually sleep up there. Meaning that you, know, you, you secure yourself, uh, rope yourself in, and th there's a, a rack. You actually can sleep there on the way up. And so he's moving the telescope around, and I'm seeing all this. And you know, thinking to myself, there was a time when, as a younger man, uh, I repaired third floor windows and stuff like that. And now I walk up steps slowly. Um, you know, there's no, no way in the world, no way I'm going to do that. And, uh, and then I found out about this guy. His name is Alec Honnold, and you can find the YouTube video. I prefer you didn't do that while I was speaking, but you can find it. And you can see there, that little red dot there. Long way down. Exciting but brief trip if something goes wrong. He climbed El Capitan in less than a morning without ropes. And like I said, it's on YouTube. There's a video about it. I mean, you can actually, you can watch this. I have enough excitement in my life. I'm a college president. I don't need to do anything else to ramp up my heartbeat. So, so, so there he is. You say, how would that be? Just to walk up and say, I'm going to climb this thing. Up he goes. Nope. He planned for seven years. He didn't just wake up one morning. He planned for seven years. He had this heart-deep desire to do it right. He climbed it well over 50 times with ropes. Okay? Memorized the sequences while he was roped. Visualizing how to do it. Okay, if I do this, that comes next. Okay. Because of one particular spot, he had to stretch in a way that human bodies aren't happy to stretch. So at night, at home, for an entire year, he did a special stretch to allow him to get his body to do what bodies wouldn't ordinarily do. He even cleaned the wall up, okay? He dropped down from the top on a rope and found these crevices where 
if you put your foot in there, there was rocks that might get you in trouble. And he went down with an empty backpack, filled it up, went back to the top, dumped it, went back down again, filled it up. He's cleaning the wall as he does that. Knew every handheld, handhold. And one morning, he drove into the park and he climbed it. He said, it was exactly as I had practiced it. I look at that and I say, that is impossible. Well, but the way he did it, the way he prepped for it, is what made it possible. That's how the impossible happens. What was he thinking? A lot and carefully. So I want to talk to you about story. Our lives are stories, okay? And when I talk to you about a story from the Bible, it's not a fiction story. It's a true story, okay? But it's got people in it. And it's got a flow, a plot. And it's got a point to it. And the place that I want you to find in your Bible is 1 Samuel 17. Now, if you've got a paper Bible, you might not have been there recently. But the Bible's like most other books, it's got a table of contents. You can look right in the front. You'll see 1 Samuel, there's two of them. 1 Samuel 17, go find it. And if you have an electronic one, it's easier to get there. So, 1 Samuel 17. And some of you are saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that's the story of, of David and Goliath, which might prompt you to say, what was he thinking? Because David didn't practice seven years and stretch and all kind of stuff, so that one day, if a giant showed up, he would be able to knock him off. This happened in a lot less time. Well, we're going to find out from reading the passage that it didn't. It really didn't. If you are given to falling asleep during the service, and if you're married and have a wife who would call you out on that, this is what you need right here. This is the whole sermon. That's it. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. I want to show you how that happened. Because David didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know, if I just walked about 10 miles from home, I'd go kill a giant. I think I'll do it. That wasn't it at all. He had been preparing for years with a far better preparation system than Alec Honnold had. David has soaked himself in the word of God and decided that he was going to believe it. So, have you got 1 Samuel 17? Because we're going to walk down through this together. We're going to read down through here. I'm going to point some stuff out as we go along the way, try to develop the scenes, the pieces in the story that the writer of 1 Samuel put together for us so we would be where he wanted us to be. Because the Bible's not God's encyclopedia on everything, okay? It doesn't tell you everything you want to know. What the Bible tells you is what God thinks you need to know whether you like it or not, okay? So there's a ton of stuff I'd like to know that's not in this passage, what we have here instead is something that God thinks we need to know. I'm going to change the slide here. You got this? Because we're, you have to say this out loud a little bit later on. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. Did you bring your binoculars? Actually, what we have here is a map of the Mediterranean. Recognize the Mediterranean on the right? Okay. And so... You know, and then that little, little blue thing, little blue dot in the middle toward the top, Sea of Galilee. 
and you run the river down there and then you find the Dead Sea. It's actually in two pieces now. There's, there's two parts of the Dead Sea. Uh, the distance between the Sea of Galilee on the top and the Dead Sea on the bottom would be uh, if you got in your car and drove south for a few miles, like 70 miles. You can't even get to Harrisburg. It's not very far at all. It's a tiny little country. So I needed to see that perspective and the next one here zooms in. And now you've got some familiar stuff in there. In the day and age of 1 Samuel 17, Israel was in the land that God had promised to them, but there were problems. The part down by the sea coast, the level plains, were where the sea people had settled in. They're called the Philistines, the sea people. Uh, they had five major cities. You see two of them there on the left, Ekron and Gath. The, two of the five lords of the Philistines ran those cities. And as countries are wont to do, okay, that's what we've been seeing happening in Ukraine these days. As countries are wont to do, they see the world through the lens of what would make life better for us. And so the Philistines were always wanting to get more land, more power, and they were going to take care of the other kingdoms around them. The Philistines' main method of fighting a war was using these incredible war chariots. Well, they live by the seacoast plains, right? It would make sense. When you get over to where this little dot is, the, the place where those three colored lines come together, you're not in the plains anymore. You're in the foothills. You can't get a chariot up there. You've got to have a plan B. So there's the Philistines coming there. I'm not really good on what that color is. Is, is that purple or is it maroon or fuchsia? Okay. I'm trying to avoid any post-church conflicts because uh, we've, we've been doing this for a long time. I was just thinking, Diane, that come next year, it'll be 50 years that we first stepped in this, this church. I know you're surprised. She was too. I was old even then. Okay, so you got that. Now, the top line, burnt umber. I don't know. That one's coming out of the city of Gibeah. That is where the very first king of Israel grew up and lived. His name was Saul, S-A-U-L, Saul. The one at the bottom comes out of, we know that, old little town of, right? That's where David was born. And so all three of these are going to converge in what the map calls the Valley of Elah. The valley, Elah is the Hebrew word for terebinth trees, okay? It was a forest place. Valley of the terebinth trees. They all converged there. Because when the Philippines, this could be a long message for all of us. Uh, when, when, the, when the Philistines decided they wanted to take over Israel, King Saul had to come and meet them. They all took whatever road worked. And there they are. Okay, now, having said all of that, I think we're ready for this. 17.1, the first scene of the chapter, Goliath taunts Israel. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sokoh, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokoh and Azekah in Ephastamim. Makes you glad we didn't choose that for scripture reading, doesn't it, Stephen? Um, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. 
and drew up in the line of battle against the Philistines. Okay, that's where we are so far. The Valley of Elah, north side of the valley, Philistines. South side of the valley, Israel. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, roughly nine foot nine. Nine foot nine. What was David thinking? He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat of mail was 5,000 shekels of bronze. In case you don't weigh yourself in shekels, I went ahead and figured that out. He was wearing a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. I mean, I mean look at me, that's nearly as much as I weigh, 125 pounds. <laughs> and then it says, and on top of that, he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin along a spear with a head on it, slung between his shoulders. The shaft of the spear is like a weaver's beam, it's huge. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, 15 pounds. Okay, some of you guys are hunters. A 15 pound gun? You'd, you'd never be able to sight the thing in. This is Goliath. When you think about Goliath, don't think about Bruce Banner. But this guy was an incredible hulk. He was like a walking tank. Nine foot nine, armored all over. <laughs> On top of that, we're going to find out that he had a guy holding a spear for him. Delegation. So verse 8, he comes out, why do you come to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Let's make this simple. Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, we'll be your servants. If I prevail against him and kill him, you'll be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Wouldn't you be? I mean, I would be. I would be. But they were terrified. Give me a man. The next paragraph starts with, now David. A little clue for us. We might have found a man. Now David was the son of an Ephratite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and uh, advanced in years. His three oldest sons had followed Saul to battle. And the name of those three sons was, first of all, Eliab, the firstborn, and then Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. One, two, and three. David was the youngest, number eight. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Okay, so picture this. Back to the map. David's going that nine or so miles from home to the battle, back and forth carrying provisions for his brothers. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward. It's a long time. And took a stand morning and evening. So on one of those days, verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, take for your brothers an ephah, two-thirds of a bushel, of this parched grain. Take these 10 loaves, carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Take these 10 cheeses, the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well. Bring some token for them. Now, Saul and his brothers were all in the valley of Elah. 
fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out the battle line, shouting the war cry. They're yelling at each other, right? Israel and the Philistines drew for battle, army against army. David left the things. They brought these down on donkey, I would assume. And uh, left with the keeper of the baggage, ran to the ranks, went and greeted his brothers. He's talking to his brothers, the three of them. And behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, in case you and I had forgotten, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. Scene three, David gains perspective. I didn't tell you for scene one, but I can tell you here for scene three. You are in the Valley of Elah. Uh, we took these pictures on our trip to Israel. We will be doing one of those again. I will not advertise that right here and right now, but you can think about that too. Um, this is the Valley of Elah. And based on getting my compass going while I was there, this is the hill where Israel was camped, right there. That's where the army was. So verse 24, scene three. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his house tax-free in Israel. Pause. Have you ever seen a Disney movie? The king's going to make you rich and no taxes and you get to marry the princess. It's like a Disney movie. Wonder where they got their ideas. Verse 26. And David said to the man who stood by him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes the reproach away from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, David did not have an abstract interest in surgery. Okay? People who were circumcised, according to the book of Genesis, men who were circumcised, had, were under God's covenant with Israel. This guy wasn't. He was anti. Who is he that he should defy the armies of the living God? Ding, 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 ding. Defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him the same way. <laughs> so it shall be done the man who kills him. Wow. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard he spoke to the man. And Eliab did what old brothers do. He got ticked off. Why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've just come down here and see the battle. David says, what have I done? It wasn't a word. Then he turns away and he talks to other people for the same thing. I mean, you can picture this, can't you? Three of us had the guts to come down here and fight the battle. Now you come here and go away. Scene four. David prepares for the battle. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said the same thing you and I would say. You're not able to go and fight this Philistine. You're but a youth. He's been a soldier, a man of war from his youth. It doesn't make any sense, does it? 
David said, well, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb for the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Matter of fact, <laughs> your servant struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Why? Why? What's the text say? For he has defied the armies of the living God. It doesn't say, this Philistine will be like them because I'm the gutsiest little guy in Israel. This Philistine will be like that lion bearer because I can do anything. Just visualize it. I can see it happen. Not at all. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David said in verse 37, For the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze at head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor. He tried in vain to go, for he hadn't tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't go with these. I've not tested them. So he put them off. We'll come back to the next verse in a minute. Saul, according to 1 Samuel chapter 9, Saul looked like a king. Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the nation. He looked like what you want a king to be. So let's pretend for a second that a sudden wedding comes up and someone says, we need you to marry us off real quick. Do you have a suit? Well, my suit's the cleaner. So what am I going to do? I'm going to have to borrow a suit from somebody. Ted. Ted Boykin, my friend. Ted's got good suit, would be okay if I borrowed it. Sure. <laughs> now, what do you see as a potential problem were I to borrow Ted's suit? I'm five foot nine. Ted is six foot six. Right? It doesn't matter how good his suit is. You know, it's going to be like clown time. It you know, doesn't matter. Okay, so David says, well, I came here wearing these clothes. I guess I'll go to battle wearing these clothes. And then you come to the next one. Then Saul took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth, Saul, and David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones in the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now, you are looking in the brook. We were there during the dry season. I was standing in the brook at the bottom of the Valley of Elah that separated where Israel and the Philistines were. No water in the brook. You know what I did? I reached down when nobody was looking and I picked up five little stones to bring home as souvenirs. How cool is that, right? Five little stones. Stuck them in my jacket pocket. Then one of our bus drivers, one of our tour guides came out and he says, I want to show you how this works. Now, when first year we were married, one of the first Christmas presents Diane got for me was a slingshot. It's called a wrist rocket. Okay? Braced right here on my wrist. Put your hand through, hold it right here. Had surgical tubing and a leather pouch. Place where I worked had shot in it, so I brought some shot home. Let me tell you, that thing was so cool. <laughs> I mean, I could put out near all those windows in the back from here. It's incredible. I'd probably kill a few of you in the process too, but <laughs> I'm not as good as I used to be with that kind of stuff. 
That's not what David had. So this bus driver gets out, one of our tour guides, and he's got a long piece of leather like this, okay, with a leather pouch in the middle. Wraps one end of it around this wrist so it can't go anywhere. The other one, other loose end, he holds here. And then he puts a rock in it. Unlike the five smooth stones I had in my pocket, he had this. Do you see it? Slingers were the artillery of the ancient army. And they would take these rocks, and this is one I, I, I dropped my five smooth stones and picked up this thing out of the river. Um, this really did come from there. I mean, you know, if, if I were to toss this to Ron, he could catch it, okay? Well, we, all right, <laughs> I'll toss it to your wife. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's two and a half, three pounds, right? But if I had the strength, you know, to throw it to the back of the room, most of you would not be trying to catch it. You'd be trying to get out of the way, right? I mean, this thing is it's heavy. And the slingers would take these and they would round them a little bit till they got to be softball size, baseball size, whatever. So the, here, our tour guide puts one of these. I'll leave it there while it's safe. And he's going like this. Let's it go. It went the length of a football field. It was like, Thump. I did, I did not do that. <laughs> Three times he did this. Wow. So there's David. And here we go. David's going to confront Goliath. Verse 41. Philistine moves forward. Shield bearer along with him. Philistines looked at David. He assessed the situation accurately. But a youth, ruddy, handsome appearance. Philistines said to David, am I a dog? You come to me with sticks? David had his shepherd's rod. Philistine cursed David by his gods. Philistines said to David in verse 44, come to me, I will give your flesh the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And, he said, and David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name, that's the character, the reputation of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies, the host of the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that I am the mightiest man in the world. It's not what it says, is it? That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly, the Philistines and the army that's been cowering in fear for 40 days, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Philistine arose, came and drew near to David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. Eyewitness reports say that Goliath stood there for just a second thinking because nothing like that had ever entered his mind before. <laughs> Just in case you were short on dad jokes, that was yours for today. Stone sank into his forehead. 
he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck him and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Hmm. Would you say it with me? God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. You got that? God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There was bigger stuff going on that day than one nation trying to subjugate another nation. There were bigger things going on there than one young man having the courage that his king didn't have. What was going on there was there was a need to show people that there really is a God who they can know about and know. A God who makes a difference in the course of human lives. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. Now you say, gutsy little guy. Yeah, but if God gives us purpose, faith gives us courage, where did David get this? Well, like right here. Leviticus, the part of the Bible where you often fall asleep if you're doing an annual Bible reading, right? That's because you don't read it that way. It's not way it's supposed to go. Anyway, if you walk in my statutes, God says to Israel, and you observe my commandments and do them, you shall chase your enemies. They shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase 10,000, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Now, folks, that's either right or it's wrong. That's either true or it's false. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. And the days in our life when we say, well, Lord, if you said that, it's true. Are the days when life works. How about this? It's a little bit longer. It's still Deuteronomy. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up in the land of Egypt. So shall it be when you are on the verge of battle. The priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you're on the verge of battle with your enemies. Don't let your heart be faint. Don't be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight with you against your enemies, to save you. Don't be afraid. You've trained for this. Don't be afraid. You're the best there are. Don't be afraid. They're weak. No. No. Fear isn't cured that way. Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight against your enemies, to save you from them. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, and they will flee before you seven ways. And this is what David said. All that time up there when he was taking care of the sheep, writing songs. He's working on scripture.
And David said, you know, the problem is here. You guys are, for all practical purposes, atheists. The, the living God has said something. The living God has spoken. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. I have seen lions, I've been in a lion park, seen them outside the window of my little tiny red Volkswagen Jetta. Thankful the lions didn't have thumbs to operate the door handle. There was nothing in me that wanted to open the door and say, you've defied the armies of the living God. <laughs> They're scary. All right, he killed a lion, he killed a bear. But this was the incredible Hulk in armor. But what had God said? What had God said? You see, God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. And that courage comes even though the enemy is terrifying. Even though the enemy's terrifying. He was. It comes even if the stakes are high. Hey, buddy, you lose this, we're all going to be slaves. I don't think you should go out there. We've been watching this thing happen 40 days, hoping he has a heart attack. He hasn't yet. Give us a few more days. The stakes are huge. And faith gives us courage even when fear holds sway. You've got a leader, King Saul, who has failed his responsibility to his people to lead them. He looked like a king. He's trying to buy courage, remember? You'll be rich, no taxes, and you get the princess. He's trying to buy courage. That's not happening. Anybody, anybody could have read those verses from Deuteronomy. They're pretty clear, weren't they? The problem was not the clarity. The problem was what they meant to be done with them. Anybody could have read those verses from Deuteronomy and done something about it. Nobody was. Nobody was. That's what fear does. Okay. Fear spreads faster than COVID and keeps people sicker for longer. It was all over. God gives purpose. Faith gives courage. Even if you alone see the bigger picture, or if you feel that way. I mean, Deuteronomy is the foundation of the entire Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they all play into it. Deuteronomy is the foundation. Everything, everything in the rest of the Bible, the whole New Testament, builds out of there and builds out of what it teaches. And since this is what God has said, it's true. 
And there are times when you may be the only one around who gets it. It is a very lonely feeling when that happens, isn't it? It's a very lonely feeling. There's an author who I won't bother to name him right now, but he, he wrote a story about how he and his son were, were driving through a fairly large city, Atlanta it was, <clears throat> and as they were stopped in a corner, one of those big ones they have, uh, waiting for the light to turn green, a guy came through the intersection, small pickup truck, way too much wood stacked on top of the truck and not secured. And as the guy comes tool around the corner, that stuff's two by four by tens all over the road. Light changes. People are moving, they're driving over this guy's lumber. Dad and son are sitting there. And all of a sudden he says, an incredible thing happened. A guy in a car, two ahead, got out of his car and walked up to the guy who was trying to put these, you know, two by four by 10, it's awkward, right? Walks up to the guy who's trying to reload his truck, grabs it on a board and helps him put it on. And the guy the other says, all of a sudden, car doors open all over. He said it was, it was a guy thing, okay? Because not a word came out of anybody's lips, not a word. Just grabbing stuff, stacking it up, grabbing stuff, staffing up. The last guy there out of the back of his pickup truck pulls a strap, which the other guy didn't have, and they strapped the load down. It took them two light cycles to get all that done. Back in the cars, off they go. Son said, Dad, that was amazing. Dad thought, I wish I would have been the first one to open my car door. Somebody has to recognize the truth and act on it. God gives us purpose, faith gives us courage, even though leaders doubt you. This could not have been a fun time for David. As his brothers, first they mocked him, and then Saul kindly pointed out, soldier, you know. And he went and did it anyway. That's me, senior year of high school. I wouldn't trust that kid to carry a cup of coffee. <laughs> hey, your age, you're not old enough for this. Your skill, you're not experienced enough for this. In fact, your experience falls far short of the basics that we need. And methods? Look at him. Armor, armor, shield, sword. Look at you. Rock. You don't get this. This is not the way these things work. You don't have valid experience for what you think you're supposed to be doing. But in fact, what had happened was God's preparation. David knew that. Keep your staff. Go pick up some stones out of the river. The enemy doesn't get to determine the style of the battle. Okay? Then respond 
in faith. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. Even when unbelievers mock you. This has happened to you, hasn't it? Okay, you, you care about somebody and you care about them in Christ and, and they, they make fun of you for it and tell you what's going to happen. God gives us what? Okay. We'll work on this together. I'll say it, then we'll say it. Okay. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. God gives us courage. Faith gives us courage. Right. You know, okay. This cause here is going to require some single-mindedness. What do you guess the ship is? That's Titanic. And this really is an, is an old lithograph. This was based on uh, an account by one of the survivors of the Titanic. This is what, what they said they saw. British passenger liner struck an iceberg off Newfoundland um, and April 12th and, and then 1912 and went down. One of the passengers on the Titanic was a godly, passenger, uh, godly pastor from Scotland. His name was John Harper. John Harper had been in America at Moody Church in Chicago and had led, I think it was three months long, preaching service. And God had been saving people. And, you know, once the time went by, John Harper went back home to Scotland. And once he got back home, they telegraphed him and said, I want you to come back. Well, let's make this thing go a little farther. Talked to his church. Church said, okay. He decided to take his daughter along with him for the trip. Her name was Nana. And so they decided to take the trip, and they booked themselves passage on Lusitania. And then he heard about this brand new ship that couldn't be sunk, the Titanic. Changed his ticket. Left a week later on the Titanic. So on that Sunday, 14th of April, weather was fine, sea was calm, John Harper attended the church service for passengers. Uh, his daughter later reported that she'd seen her dad talking with other passengers, sharing Christ with them on the ship that day. Okay, it hit the iceberg at 11.40, okay, just before midnight, sank two and a half hours later. And when they gave the call for passengers to get out of their cabins, Harper wrapped his daughter up in a blanket, made sure that she got on a lifeboat, said, I will see you again. Next thing he did, he took off his life jacket, gave it to somebody who didn't have one. One of the survivors remembered him saying, women, children, and the unsaved to the lifeboats. Okay, Harper knew the believers were ready to die, but others weren't ready. Reportedly, he is the one who famously asked the Titanic orchestra to play Nearer My God to Thee. He prayed, jumped into the water, and began swimming around, sharing the gospel. So four years later, they, would, they had survivor reunions periodically for a while. Four years later, a young Scotsman who's named Aguila Webb stood up at a survivor's meeting up in Canada, and he said this, I am a survivor of the Titanic. 
When I was drifting alone on a piece of wood that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow, also on a piece of the wreck, near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I'm not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The waves bore him away. But strange to say, brought him back a while later. And he said, are you saved now? <laughs> no, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And shortly after that, he went down. And Aguila Webb said, there alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. And I wanted to walk you through this story. And I've already been praying a lot about this. Praying that the Spirit of God would be leaning on you like a friendly elephant. You can't avoid that. Exposing an area in your life where you know the truth. Just like David knew the truth out of Deuteronomy. Where you know the truth. And nobody else is doing anything about it either, so you feel okay. Just like all the guys in the army of Israel. <laughs> Are you going to fight them? I'm not either. You know the truth. You know what needs to be done. You may know from the word of God and from the experiences God had brought in your life the way to do it. God gives us purpose. Faith gives us courage. In that area of your life, which will be different than mine, right? In that area of your life, I want you to make the decision to live by faith. Since this is what you have said, and since what you have said is true, I'm going to need some rocks. Like I said, it's different for all of us. But through our lives, we have these stopping points where we just say, I don't think so. Like me and Capitan. But David has spent years preparing for Goliath. He just didn't know it. He just didn't know it. And so for people like you and me, that the world may know there is a God. <laughs> For people like you and me, he wants us to take the 110 different places where we have been planted like seeds and say, well, since that's what God has said, God gives us purpose. And since what God says is true, then I will. We've got about 110 different ways to fill in that blank. That's what I'd like you to game the story of David and Goliath. The world doesn't need gutsy little guys who are too brash to realize that you don't fight a guy like that. What the world needs is people who know that when Jesus died on the cross, he not only died in their place and for their sins, but he died for all the other folks here in Clark Summit. People who would say, the world needs to know Jesus and become like him. And if that happens, then everything else they want in life is going to be taken care of. That's what we need. And that's why God put us here on this hill. Pray with me, would you?
Lord, thank you for being the one true God who speaks to people like us. I confess to you, Lord, as we consider everything going on in life, our stomachs clench up a little bit and uh, breath quickens. We're not quite sure how this is all going to work. And I would pray that through the power of your spirit that you would work in us so the word of Christ may be known, the excellency of what he's done for us might be obvious, and you would use us to help folks in this town who are religious find their Savior and who are irreligious know you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.